uh, we're calling the Christmas series Xmas this year, and uh, it's to look at God's work of deliverance. The Exodus story is about God delivering his people out of slavery and into the promised land, and I wanted to take a moment just to connect uh, with that story and connect it to the Christmas story. And in our previous Exodus series, we walked through the book of Exodus, but then we also looked at the Exodus theme throughout the Old Testament. And so I'd like to still kind of highlight some of those stories that have Exodus narratives built into them, but then also help us to connect to the Christmas story, because the Christmas story is a story of God's deliverance for us, of God rescuing us from sin and death, rescuing us from a slavery of our own, to enter into our world and to deliver us and set us free in Christ. And so I hope that the series is kind of an encouragement to you, maybe a different take than just talking about the shepherds every Christmas, uh, but to spend time looking at how God's word connects us uh, to the past and still in this present moment, that God delivers us from our brokenness, from our sin, from death itself by entering into uh, into our lives still today. So if you pray with me as we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Help us as we study your word to uh, continue to guide us as your children. Lift us up, Lord. Help us to see not just connections for connection's sake, but to know that we are still uh, connected with you through this story. That w This story that we are reminded of is our story. Lord, that we are shaped by you, renewed by you, given a spirit by you to live and walk and have life today. And so, Lord, I pray that it would strengthen us and encourage us. For those far from you, they would be brought near. For those who, Lord, need a word of comfort and encouragement today, Lord, that it would lift them up to know that you hear our prayers, you remember us, and you love us. And, Lord, for every everyone in between, just navigating life and navigating Christmas and the busyness of the season, Lord, help us to hear from you today that we would be encouraged to walk faithfully. Lord, we love you so much. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning's message, I, I was a little hesitant. Uh, I've preached on this passage before many years ago, and the unfortunate thing that when you cover some of the books of the Bible— and you try to preach all of the stories, there are some things that happen in it that become deeply personal. And one of the things that is deeply personal is, uh, is women and childbirth. And the story we're going to look at today is Hannah. And it's the story of a woman who's famously infertile. And the story is sort of built in that. And so I want to preach just kind of on, on the outset of it, and just, or on the onset of it, just saying, that God loves you and he cares deeply for you. And we know women that have battled this and we pray for you and we love you and we're with you. And this message is about a message of hope, a message that God hears the prayers of those who are hurting. And there can be no greater anguish than a woman that faces this battle. And, and if you know someone that is dealing with it or you yourself have dealt with it, we're with you, we love you. And this message uh, is to encourage us to know that God hears our suffering. God hears our sadness and our grief. God cares deeply for all of us. And uh, so I just want to make that, um, just know my pastor's heart for you, that I love you and I care deeply about you. Um, 
And so as we enter into this story, it's, uh, it's one that you kind of have to tell. Now, I've been trying to make connections to the Exodus story, and at first I didn't really see uh, the Exodus story in the story of Hannah, but it actually sort of comes about later on in the narrative. After we, you know, kind of letting the cat out of the bag, after Samuel's born, after uh, Hannah's song, we end up hearing about Eli and his wicked sons. And Eli, he's the priest, and his sons are taking, uh, taking things for themselves. They're wicked and they're evil. And there ends up being this battle. And because the wickedness of uh, these priests uh, is sort of just perpetuating throughout their lives, God has sort of turned his back on the Israelites because they've turned their backs on him. God isn't blessing them. They go into battle, and they get the bright idea of taking the Ark of the Covenant into battle. And because God is, like, mad with them, God uh, doesn't bless the fight. And the Israelites get decimated, and they lose. And the Ark of the Covenant goes in, uh, is captured by the Philistines, and so it becomes this like really big deal, and they move the Ark of the Covenant into the temple with, with uh, the god Dagon. And you may remember this story. They put the Ark of the Covenant uh, in, the co- uh, in the temple with Dagon, and Dagon, he keeps falling over every night. And they're like, oh, well, let's prop him back up, and the god keeps falling over the idol. Then his arms like break off, and they're like, oh, boy, this is pretty serious. And, and then uh, I didn't know this, and I learned this this week. Um, uh, if you'd repeat this Hebrew word with me, uh, Afiel, Afiel, Afiel. All right, if you just said that, you just said the Hebrew words for hemorrhoids. Uh, it's, uh, it's translated as tumors in the text, but uh, it, it's, it's hemorrhoids. It's there in the Hebrew. Uh, I promise, I just learned that this week, and I thought, I'm going to play a mean trick on them and get them all to say the Hebrew word for hemorrhoids. So, I know I have the maturity level of a five-year-old, but that was fun for me, so thank you. Uh, and so, at, like anyone, so the entire like group of people, they all were getting these tumors, and they were saying, this is completely miserable. We need to get the Ark of the Covenant out of here. And what they do is they remember the story of Exodus. They say, we know how this turned out for Pharaoh when people opposed the God of Israel. We know how this shaped up, and we're already dealing with tumors, and so we don't want it to get any worse than this. And so they say, okay, take the Ark of the Covenant out of here and give it back to the Israelites, and let's, you know, let's just try and forget that this ever happened. And so that's sort of the Exodus story in a way. Only it's the Israelites, the Israelites, they're the ones that go into a foreign nation, and it's God who shows up big time to deliver them. But in this case, and it wouldn't be the last time that God does this, but in this case, God will go into enemy territory. God will show himself greater and stronger than the god Dagon and any other gods that they've worshipped in uh, in the land of uh, uh, the Philistines. And God is showing himself greater than all of them, and so God enters in, and then God is sent back home. God enters into foreign land. God enters into the land of the enemy so that he can suffer for his people, and he is drawn out of it. But before all of that takes place, there is a woman who is going through a terrible ordeal, 
Her family life is not ideal whatsoever. Her name is Hannah. And her husband, uh, we, th- we think, we interpret the story as, is Hannah was married and, and uh, her husband and her, they tried having children and it wouldn't happen. And so he ended up getting a second wife and her name was Penaniah. And she could have children and she made the life of Hannah miserable. And no matter what her husband did to shower gifts on her and bless her and care for her, no matter what he did, there was still this sort of turmoil of her suffering and not being able to have children. And so each time they went to, uh, uh, each time as the year came around that there would be the blessings being doled out for having children, it would just be this painful reminder of the shame and the hurt that she was experiencing. Elkanah, her husband, he, he says this thing that's just kind of like, you know, I'm sympathetic for him. Guys, we can, all, we can all be there with him. He says to Hannah, you know, isn't it enough that I'm your husband? And, uh, you know, it's one of those real brain-dead moments. Uh, guys, I know that we've all been there. It's like, aren't I enough, sweetheart, you know? And Wendy, she, you know, nods her head and she says, oh, yes, Jordan, you're just the best, right? That's... That's how it always goes in my house. I'm sure it's the same for you. And so she's kind of like, no, you idiot. Like you're missing, you're missing the point. And so there is this moment when Hannah goes into the temple uh, for prayer. And it's one of the few times that we actually ever read of a woman going into the temple. And, and so that's actually kind of unique in its own way. But Hannah... Hannah is praying so fervently to God that Eli, who is observing her, thinks that she is drunk because she is so filled with emotion and heartache and suffering. She just keeps crying out and pouring out her heart to God. In a fun way, there's a contrast between Eli's sons who have sort of corrupted the whole system, and here is this woman who is seeking the Lord and, and, tr- and trying to trust in God and, and just pleading to him that he would remember her. And that's the Exodus word that I think we need to connect with today is that he would remember Hannah. God and the Israelites in the Exodus story, he, they continually ask God, would you remember us? Would you remember us in our suffering? And that's what we do oftentimes in our prayers is that we ask God, would you remember me? When we're going through circumstances in our life, we, we ask God, would you remember your promises? Would you remember your promise at the end of Matthew 28 when you tell us that you will be with us to the very end of the age? Would you, rem- would you remember that promise that I'll never be alone? Would you remember that promise, Jesus, that you would never let anyone pluck us out of your hand? Would you remember the promise that you would be with us and care for us? If you've prayed those prayers, then you've joined right along with Hannah in the middle of the temple or in the, uh, in the, uh, where the offerings of prayer would be lifted up. And, and we would join right along with Hannah and know that God is here, would hear us, that we would ask God to remember us, that he would relieve us of this pain and the suffering. And so Eli, after he interrogates her, is like, Are you, you know, if you're drunk, you need to get out of here. That's what, basically what he says to her. And uh, you're getting a lot of Jordan's translation today. Um, it's the more fun translation, I think. All right, I've digressed. So Eli thinks that she's drunk with wine, and she says, no, I'm just going through this incredible grief. My life is terrible. 
and my life has been so miserable, and if God would just give me a child, I'll give it back to him. I just, I just have to have a child. She's so filled with grief. And so Eli, he says to her, God hears your prayer. God remembers you. And she takes this with faith, and she trusts and she believes. And it is uh, three or four years later that she would come back, and she would see Eli, and she would say to him, this is my son. Do you remember me? I prayed for this child. I prayed for him, and his name is Samuel. And he is this gift of God to me, and I want to give him back to the giver, just as I promised. And so Samuel would be, recruit, uh, would, uh, be given to uh, the temple, and he would become a priest, and he would function there, and the story sort of continues on. And Samuel would be the guy that would seek out Saul to be king, and then Samuel would be the one who would seek out David to be king. And God would use Samuel in his life to uh, bring about his purposes and sort of restore to them a, the way of God. He would call them back and say, you know, we've lost our way. When the Ark of the Covenant would be in the land of the Philistines, he would say, we need to repent, we need to turn back to God, we need to get rid of all of the idols that we've allowed to infiltrate into our lives, and we need to go back to him. And so God would use Hannah in the midst of her suffering and hurt. God uses this woman to sort of reorder and restructure Israel and restore them back to God in a relationship with God is always in the business of using the lowly and lifting them up to change his creation, change uh, the lives of the Israelites, change your life. God uses the lowly to lift them up. And what I want you to hear today, in the midst of all of that story, is a song that Hannah sang in light of God fulfilling her promise, uh, God fulfilling his promise. Hannah she prayed and said in 1 Samuel 2, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust, and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the whole world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt them exalt the horn of his anointed. If you were to take up um, uh, this text and you overlay it against what Mary says, you will see a connection between the two 
and in surprising and wonderful ways. I read Mary's song at the opening of our service, uh, and I'm sure that you remember every word that I said, but there are a few connections that are there, and that God will exalt the lowly, he rejoices in salvation, the proud are humbled, God's sovereignty is, uh, is uh, pointed out, the poor are lifted, and then there is the hope of the resurrection raising up from the dead, and the anointed one will deliver God's people. There are these cool connections between the two texts, and I, what I want us to see this morning, what I hope you would see, is uh, just the importance of what she is saying in verse 6. In 2.6, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and he raises up. For her, in her context, what she is saying, she's not, she doesn't know anything about Jesus. This is not on her like purview. She's not seeing that. What she is seeing, what she's talking about, is her own womb. She is saying, this has been a dead part of me and God has made it alive. This has not been able to bring life, and God is bringing life from it. And so she celebrates that God does these sort of grand reversals. When you celebrate God, when you think about God, one of the things that I think we sort of neglect or forget or just kind of, we don't really bring enough out of it is, is that God is in the business of doing grand reversals. God is in the business of interrupting and, and uh, disrupting lives and restoring and reordering life god breaks up the disorder and the brokenness and death and he does these grand reversals and in hannah's words she is saying there has been death but now there is life there has been hopelessness but now there is hope god is a god who takes the grief and the sorrow and the brokenness and he does these grand reversals in our lives to give us hope and strength and courage in the moments that we're feeling most broken and most hurt. And so she goes to God in her despair and her angst, and God lifts her up and raises her up, and she says, I have been filled with death, but now there is life. My life has been broken, but now I see God remembering me and caring for me. And so we need to look at our own lives and our own hearts and know that God is working in our lives, that God is working in your life, that in the midst of your suffering and the hurt, that God is a God of grand reversals. And so her song is a celebration that God acts, that God remembers, that God is faithful, that God cares deeply. And so we can, as Christians, remember the promises of Christ to know that He too remembers us, that He is also with us and He cares deeply for us. So as we make connections to Exodus and we make these connections to Christmas, uh, the story sort of progresses along. Uh, uh, Samuel, who's born, he ends up going uh, to the temple. Jesus, when he's born, he ends up going to the temple uh, for worship. You know, so there's some connections there. There's a barren woman in Luke's story. Who's the barren woman in Luke's narrative of the Christmas story? Elizabeth. Elizabeth is barren. There, and somebody sings a song. Who sings a song? And Elizabeth's story, Zechariah sings a song. So there's a whole bunch of connections that are just cool, and I don't know what we do with them. Uh, I've thought about it, and it's like, God, I got nothing. But there is, a, there is a connection. There is something that we cling to. 
And it's this song that she sings that for the very first time there is a concept of one who is coming who will right the world. This is the sort of first sign that we get that there would be one who would come to set the world right. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. That's verse 8. And verse 10 is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from the heavens, and the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Samuel would anticipate King Saul and King David, but what he really anticipates is King Jesus. We celebrate at Christmas a king who arrives to set the world right. One who opposes the proud and lifts up the humble. One who ministers to the poor and the broken and the suffering. God would send his king to enter into the suffering of the world to lift us up and renew us, to forgive us of sins and give us the gift of life. The story of Christmas it weaves through the tapestry of the Old Testament and it comes to us in the story of Luke, in the story of Matthew, and it tells us of a hope of one who is coming to rescue us and save us. So as I reflect on all of this and I think about what all of the connections, it's the story of Christmas of God reaching out to deliver us once again. It's the story of God reaching out to us in our slavery to sin and death and our suffering and our grief to lift us up. It's also that we remember this story and we embrace the gift of life given us in Christ. We exalt God and we remember his faithfulness to us. And for me, it's joining with people who in light of what God has done, they sing songs. Moses, at the end of the Exodus journey, he sings a song. And then Miriam... She sings a song. And Miriam, we kind of forget about her. She's uh, sister to Aaron. She sings a song in Exodus 15, 21. Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. She just sings a simple song. But the song is about God, God delivering them from slavery God being greater than the enemy. God being stronger than the, what opposed them. She sings to the Lord and he is highly exalted. We sing a lot of songs at Christmas time. We sing familiar hymns and old hymns and wonderful things that draw us to God. But that is the appropriate response always. Sometimes we forget what all the singing is about. Like, I, I don't know that we do this necessarily uh, in our minds, but it just sort of feels like sometimes, well, we've got to go to church and we've got to sing because that's what's expected. And I think that we need to shift our thinking if that's kind of the rut that we find ourselves in. We come and we sing because God is worth singing about. What he has done, what he did for Hannah and for her to respond in song, what he did for the Israelites and for Moses and Miriam to respond in song. What he did, did for Elizabeth, for, for Zechariah to respond in song. What he did when he told Mary that you would be given a child who will rescue Israel and rescue the world from sin and death. Her response is song. 
our response is to exalt God. And man, it makes us feel uncomfortable sometimes when, it, when we're singing and we can't find the tune. Or when we're singing and we don't always know all of the words or uh, if, the, you know, if the music's not exactly our style and our taste. But it's not about any of that. It's about the God who's worthy of celebrating and exalting and lifting high. It's about praising Him because He's set us free. He's rescued us. And our connection this morning is just to connect ourselves to the song of deliverance, celebrating the, the strength of God, the salvation of God, His faithful, faithfulness to His own covenants, His remembering of you in the midst of your grief and your sorrow. There are 10,000 reasons and so many more that we would celebrate God and lift praises to Him. So we join with the Psalms, we join with Miriam, we join with Moses, we join with Mary, we join with Hannah, we join with generation after generation in singing and celebrating and exalting the one who remembers and loves us, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our King. So your application today is to sing, to sing joyfully to Jesus who remembers you and loves you and gave his life for you. Let's pray. God, we love you and we celebrate you today. We exalt you with those who have gone before us and celebrate today Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our Rescuer. God, I'd ask that you would bless us and care for us as your children. Help us to know today that you remember your covenants, you remember and you are faithful to your promises. Lord, and we join with Hannah and sometimes in grief and sorrow and so we come before you, God, that there are things in our life that, we, that are not as we want them to be. And so we pray, Lord, that you would interject into our lives, that you would help us in each and every day, in our families and with our work and uh, with our witness and our life together, that, God, you would enter into the, our suffering and our grief and the disorder in our lives. God, that you would give us blessings and encouragement and strength today. Lord, we celebrate you, we honor you, and glorify you for being faithful and loving and kind. So may the words of our songs, may they sing of praise and glory and exalt you as, uh, as best as we can. Lord, there are not enough words to capture your glory and your splendor. But we give you our hearts today. We give you our lives today. Lord, we come to you thankful for your deliverance the gift of life in Jesus Christ. And we celebrate today Jesus our King. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please stand.